Uh, open your Bibles with me this morning, please, to, oh, I need that iPad. Go with me, please, to the book of John, chapter 6. Thank you, sir. John chapter 6, and we're excited about the word this morning. We are stirred up and expecting. Man, God has given us a good word over these last few weeks, and we are right in the middle, church, of a move of God. His spirit is moving strong among us, and it has been for uh, several weeks, several months now. And we are right in the middle of it, and I want to see it continue. I want to see it get stronger and stronger and stronger and not just be something we experience in here for a couple hours on a Sunday morning, but something you are experiencing every day of your life as you live your life. You're at your home. You're at your work. I want you experiencing the same move of God that we're all so enjoying here at church. And uh, we, what began several weeks ago, I think about five weeks ago, I thought was just an offering message has turned into over a month of study on the subject of supernatural Acceleration, supernatural acceleration. And one of the key scriptures we've looked at is here in John chapter 6. Look at verse 16 with me. It says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. It was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately, somebody say immediately, immediately. the boat was at the land where they were going. This is one of so many demonstrations of supernatural acceleration that we find all throughout the Word of God, and most especially in the ministry of Jesus. What is supernatural acceleration? We'll take these two words and just define them. Supernatural has to do with an order of existence beyond, listen, beyond the visible. Supernatural has to do with the existence beyond what you can see, beyond the visible, observable universe. It has to do with departing from what is usual or normal. Listen to this, especially so as to appear to transcend the laws of nature. That's what supernatural is. That's what supernatural does. It exists in a realm beyond, outside the visible, what you can see and feel. And it also has to do with transcending the laws of nature. Supernatural law supersedes natural law which is exactly what we just read about in John chapter 6. And if you back all the way up to the beginning of that chapter, you see Jesus was already building momentum with this when he and his disciples were on the hillside and they saw a great multitude coming towards them and Jesus decides, I want to feed these people. And the disciples kind of go into panic mode and they say, you know, we've only got like 200 denarii on hand. How's that enough to buy food for all these people so that even, all of them can even have a little bit? And then another one starts freaking out and says, look, all we've got is some loaves and some fish, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the people sit down. It's an interesting study. We've talked about it some in here, but let me remind you. When Jesus said, make the people sit down, look up that word, and it's actually the word lie down. 
make the people lie down. And then the Bible tells us in John chapter 6, there was much grass in the place, which is sort of, kind of an interesting detail, right? It's like, well, thank you, Bible, for helping me paint this picture here. But if you think about it, what's happening? The good shepherd is making his sheep lie down in green pastures. The 23rd Psalm is coming to life. And Jesus, it was his idea to feed them. So he takes what little they had and he holds it up and he begins to give thanks for it. He blesses it, which is what we dealt with last week, being overtaken by blessing. And in blessing, one thing I've neglected to mention to you, going all the way back to Genesis 1, when the first thing human ears ever heard out of the heart and mouth of God was be blessed. The Bible says he blessed them, talking about Adam and Eve. He blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Multiplication is acceleration. If you're trying to get from one to a thousand, but you're doing it by adding one at a time, one at a time, one at a time, it's going to take you a while to get there. But you start multiplying and you can get from one to a thousand much quicker, can't you? Multiplication is acceleration. So when Jesus held up the loaves and the fish and he gave thanks for it and he blessed it, this was so much more than, Lord, thank you for this food. Um, you know, bless the hands that prepared it. Um, you know, these little dinky prayers sometimes we pray over our meal. This wasn't that. This was faith. And he blessed it. And in blessing it, what happened? Multiplication. And natural law says you cannot feed 5,000 people with a few pieces of bread and a few pieces of fish. Supernatural law begins to supersede natural law and multiplies, multiplies, multiplies till everybody was filled to the full and satisfied and there was enough left over. So Jesus is already in this mode, supernatural acceleration, multiplication. And it was right out of that that we read in verse 16, the disciples go get into the boat. Jesus isn't with them. And they start to cross over to the other side of the sea. And we have these details. They get about halfway, three or four miles. That Sea of Galilee is about eight miles wide. And these guys get about halfway and they're stuck, stuck. Anybody in here ever just felt stuck, huh? You're not making progress, not the progress you want to make. Man, it feels like you've just been rowing and rowing upstream, rowing against the wind, and it's hard and it's tiring, and you look and it's like, man, we are getting nowhere. Getting nowhere financially. Getting nowhere in your career. Getting nowhere in your family. Just desiring to make progress, but for whatever reason, you just feel stuck. Now, if you stay in the middle of that environment, you are going to stay stuck. You need something supernatural to come along. And that's when Jesus comes to them, not swimming, <laughs> didn't hop in another boat. He comes to them, what? Walking on the water. You can't do that unless you're operating according to another law, the law of supernatural law that supersedes natural law. 
where natural law says you have to go sink to the bottom. Supernatural law says I will put foundation beneath your feet that you can't see. I will put something firm for you to stand on. I will put something firm for you to walk on. My word will be that foundation beneath your feet. And where everybody else has faltered, where everybody else has sunk, you stay right out there on top of the surface, stepping on something. You can't see it, but it's solid. I said, you can't see it, but it's solid. And it's the word of God. So Jesus, here's here's natural law number two that he's breaking in the same chapter, comes walking to them on the water. They panic. He says, hey, it's me. Don't be afraid. So they willingly received him into the boat. And then here's the third natural law that gets broken. Immediately, they're at the other side. That's fast. That is supernatural acceleration. And you can do all the math you want to. You can try to compute based on how long it took you to get here, how strong the headwinds are, how many people are rowing in the boat, how much, how much force they're exerting, how much distance there is still to go. If it's taken us three or four hours to get this far, it's going to take us at least another three or four hours to get that far. Or Jesus can get in the boat and all your math can go overboard. Why? Because we're about to be immediately, oh, I love that word. I have so fallen in love with that word immediately at the other side where they were, where they were going. That's acceleration. Why are we talking about this? Because we need to increase our expectation of acceleration. So you can tell we haven't been expecting it like we need to be. We talk like it, we, we, we say the right things at times. We confess the right things at times. But let me ask you, are you really expecting? Are you really expecting that healing prayer to produce it? Because I guarantee you, if some of these prayers you and I prayed, oh, Father, we thank you for healing. We call this person healed in Jesus' name by the stripes of Jesus. What we're really expecting is, yeah, this will work. It might take some time. But if the power of God hit the scene every time you and I prayed, be honest, you'd be shocked. You'd be going, oh my God, this stuff works. You'd be absolutely shocked. You'd be totally floored. And that's not good. I said, that's not good. That's an indicator of what? Lack of expectation. So what the spirit of God is doing in having us focus on this, he is increasing our expectation. And I want you to I'm going to give you a statement, and I want this to be something you live your life by. If you see it in the Word, you can have it. If you see precedent set by the Word of God, I want you to determine right now for the rest of your life, I can have it. If I see it in His Word, I can have it. What am I telling you? Your expectation requires a foundation. Faith is the substance substance of things hoped for. In other words, faith is the foundation for hope, the expectation. And faith only comes by hearing the word. So as we hear the word of God and we look at instance after instance and example after example of immediately, suddenly, immediately, suddenly, immediately their eyes were open. Suddenly the doors were open. Immediately they could walk. Immediately she was raised from the dead, right? You look at this over and over and over. Faith is coming and it's laying a foundation 
for an increased expectation of some acceleration. Amen. I got a foundation for it. In other words, I ain't just making stuff up, church. I'm not just making stuff up. I'm looking to the word to set my expectation. And we're making the decision right now, aren't we? If I see it in the word, I can have it. If I see the precedent set in the word of God, bless God, I can have that. And the expectation's coming up. So the word accelerate, or excuse me, the word supernatural has to do with transcending the laws of nature. To accelerate, you know what this means, to bring about at an earlier time. Acceleration is the process of moving faster or happening more quickly. So are you beginning to expect that more? Are you beginning to expect your faith to become sight? Huh? Because that's what's supposed to be happening as we meditate on these things. Jesus transcended the laws of nature by operating according to natural law and the result was supernatural increase. So, excuse me, supernatural acceleration. When I start talking about these things, natural laws, one of the first things that come to my mind all the time is the law of gravity. That's a law. And can I just see the hands of those who are just thankful for the law of gravity? I appreciate it. It actually makes a lot, a lot of things a lot easier, right? It's a good thing. And whether you realize it right now, it's working. As we speak, gravity is working on you. It's working on me. That natural law is working. That law that is pulling us towards the center of the earth at 32 feet per second or 9.8 meters per second. They have figured out that's the pull of gravity. And it's working right now. It's working all the time. And it's a natural law. Now we don't think much of it now, but that law, though it is true, though it is real, and though it is always working, there are times in our lives where we supersede that law, don't we? Ever been on an airplane? Well, then you superseded the law of gravity. Now, that seems like no big deal to us right now, but you rewind a couple of hundred years and try to tell somebody, yes, in the future, we will be flying. They would have thought, that's supernatural. <laughs> they would have thought, no way, you can't do that. You, you must be a witch or something, you know, to, to be able to transcend that natural law. But man, through his hunger and desire, as he looked to the sky and saw birds that could fly. He thought, I want to do that. So they figured out. They figured out how to counteract those laws that keep you down and overcome them. About 120 years ago, two brothers, Orville and Wilbur Wright, had dedicated their lives to figuring out how to fly. And on a beach in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, in 1903, these dudes figured it out and they flew and they overcame that law that up until that time in all of human history had kept people down. They figured out how to overcome. Gravity's pulling you down, so I got to figure out how to get over that. And they figured out what we call the law of lift. So you've got one law, gravity, that's pulling you down, but now here's another law. It's the law of lift. Lift is the force 
that acts opposing to gravity. And they figured out for us to fly, there were two things we had to overcome. We had to overcome weight, which is gravity pulling you down. And we had to overcome drag, weight and drag. These two things are constantly working against you and I leaving the surface of the earth. These things are working against you all the time. Weight, trying to bring you down. And drag is the force that, that, that acts against you horizontally, trying to move you backwards to keep you from moving forwards. So you got weight, you got drag. And these two guys and others have figured out how to overcome those laws. Again, we don't think of it as supernatural, but it's a good example of one law superseding another law. And through the law of lift, they overcame the weight. And with the law of thrust, which is forward motion, they figured out if we can get going forward fast enough and it supersedes what's trying to pull us backwards, we can get this thing in the air. And they did it, man. They overcame for 12 whole seconds. They overcame that law, which is pretty big stuff if you think about it. For thousands and thousands of years, I mean, all of human history leading up to that point, nobody had ever overcome it, and they did for 12 seconds, spanning a great distance of 180 feet. They overcame, though. Now, fast forward about 95 years to my senior year in high school, when my grandfather says to me, Jeremy, would you like to learn to fly? Sure. So he gets me connected with a flight instructor. And I remember my first lessons. We're sitting in a classroom, just me and him. He's got a dry erase board. And you know what he put on that board? The very same thing I just told you about that those two dudes found out almost 100 years before that. That if you can overcome what's holding you down, if you can implement a different law, that law of lift, and if you can get going faster than what's trying to drag you back, this thing will get in the air. It's the same stuff. It's the same principle. So I started learning to fly. And after a couple of ground school lessons, he walks me out to an airplane. Cessna 172. You know what that is? Not much. <laughs> it's a little four-seater airplane. That 172 refers to the power of the engine. About 172 horses in that engine. Most of your cars will do better than Some of your lawnmowers will do better than that. <laughs> It's not a lot, but listen to this, it's enough. It's enough. And I found out in those first couple of lessons, you taxi that thing out to the end of the runway and you push in that throttle and you give it all the power. I'm giving the roll she's got, Captain. You give it all that power, which ain't much. You start inching down that runway and you hit what is it, Connie, is about 60 knots or so in that 172 and you pull back on that yoke, you can create enough lift that will actually overcome gravity. And the whole time you're pulling back on that thing, gravity's going, where are you going? Get down here. Gravity's trying to get you back down to the earth at 32 feet a second. But you're generating another law. It's that law of lift. And you push enough power in Again, you're not going that fast, but it's enough. It's enough pushing you forward 
to overcome what's trying to drag you backwards. And I learned in learning to fly the same thing that Orville and Wilbur figured out a hundred years before that. And you take that same principle, you can apply it to a Cessna 172. You spend a little time in a small airplane like that. You graduate up to something a little bigger, maybe something with, with two engines. You're putting out a little more horsepower now. You can graduate out of that to what they call a turboprop, which has got a lot of horsepower, start moving you through the air a lot faster. Then you get into jets. And jets are cool because they kind of stop measuring everything in horsepower, and they use another unit of measurement. They call it pounds of thrust. And that basically just equals how much power do we have to give this thing to counteract that, that gravity that's pulling down on it at 32 feet a second. And so one pound of thrust is equal to the, the opposite of gravity pulling you down. One pound, 32 feet, gets you in the air, 32 feet a second. And you start getting into some of these jets and you start feeling power. Sarah and I've spent a little bit of time in uh, a jet called a Citation 10. Now at one time, the Citation 10 was the fastest general aviation plane on the market. And that thing would do almost Mach 1. That's power. That's almost the speed of sound. And I remember the first, thing, first time we were on that plane and we taxied out to the end of the runway just like I did in the 172. Only this time, when the guys put the power up, you feel it. And the way they do it, they keep their feet on the brakes, push the power throttle up because now this is not a 172 horsepower engine. This is two Rolls Royce engines that are putting out about 6,500 pounds of thrust. And you feel every one of them. They put that throttle to the wall. It puts your back in the seat and we are accelerating now. And since then, I mean, the, the aviation market's always changing. Everything's improving. I think one of the fastest things you can get in now is called a Gulfstream 650. And that thing also has a couple of Rolls-Royce engines on it, putting out 17,000 pounds of thrust. Now, the whole time it's taken off and the whole time it's flying, gravity's still going, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? Get down here. Get down here. But as long as it's got that power, as long as it's producing that thrust and that lift, it'll stay it will supersede that natural law. That's just private airplanes. You get into commercial stuff. There's a company called Airbus that makes an airplane called the A380, one of the biggest commercial planes in the world. That thing's got four engines, and across the wings, those four engines are putting out between 70 and 80,000 pounds of thrust. Now, gravity's still working on it the whole time, but it's overcoming. It's overcoming weight, it's overcoming drag. Overcoming the whole time at 80,000 pounds of thrust. And that airplane, that particular one, has a range of 10,000 miles. In other words, it can overcome that natural law for 10,000 miles and stay up there for over 16 hours. Now that's a far cry from those two brothers on that beach. They got, they got, what, 12 seconds and about 180 feet at an altitude of about yay high. <laughs> but the same principle, same principle is working all along.
And that's an awesome thing, you know, to think about the world we live in now and how, how much for granted we can take it, that we're just constantly overcoming this natural law. But you know, the Bible says, deep calls unto deep. What's that mean? I think about it from the perspective of somebody like a pilot or, or an explorer, somebody who has set records, speed records, climbing records, diving records. Take somebody, some diver that's gone deeper than anybody's ever gone before. Set a new record. And that guy, that girl emerges from the surface of the water and people are like, wow, you went further than anybody's ever gone. And they're celebrating that. You wanna know what that person's thinking? I wonder what's deeper. They've been deeper than anybody's ever gone, but deep calls to deep. And when you've gone further than you've ever gone before, yes, that's wonderful and it's much to be celebrated, but if you listen, your spirit will go, yeah, but what's next? Somebody who's climbed high, they say, man, I wonder what's higher. Which is why, as wonderful as it is to, to travel at 600 miles an hour and span 10,000 miles and stay in the air for nearly 20 hours, there's something inside man that looks into the night sky and starts looking at stars and says, I want to go there. I want to I get outside this natural environment. So the only thing next, really, I mean, you can get into some fast stuff in the military and all that, but the only thing next is space travel. And I've been so drawn to this lately. I've been so drawn to the night sky lately, just looking up at stars and endeavoring to wrap my head around it, how far away they are, how big they are. It just talks to me about the goodness and greatness of our God. And you take one of these space shuttles and you don't measure in horsepower. Those, those big, bad, airline jets that put out about 80,000 pounds of thrust. You know what that space shuttle says? Ha, <laughs> cute. <laughs> because that bad boy puts out 1.2 million pounds of thrust. That's a lot. You know how they say it's dangerous to have an open flame around fuel, around gasoline? Well, this is why you never see an astronaut smoking a cigarette out by the, the shuttle just, just before launch. Because that stuff's got so much fuel in it and it's got so much thrust coming out of it. Why would it need 1.2 million pounds of thrust? Because gravity is all the time working against it. That thing's trying to get outside this atmosphere. He's trying to go places jets don't go, airliners don't go. He's saying, get me out of here. I want to get outside this environment. I want to get outside this atmosphere. And it takes all that power. Oh, come on. Somebody say power. power. It takes power to get outside the natural laws. And they're headed for a place where gravity gives up. They're headed for a place of weightlessness. And the things that would drag you down here don't drag you down there. And now you're listening to this going, okay, interesting. Why are we talking about this? 
Is it possible the Bible has something to say about this? A book that was written thousands of years before anybody ever flew anywhere, before anybody ever got outside this atmosphere? Seems to me the Bible has something to say about laying aside some weights. Seems to me the Bible has something to say about overcoming the things that drag you back and drag you down, being an overcomer in this life. Look with me, please, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Keeping this in mind, let me read this to you. In verse 1, he says, you he made alive. I like the King James Bible. It says, you he quickened. Quickened. It's a word that literally means make alive. But especially as we study supernatural acceleration, I like the word quickened. Quickened. It's not just what he did, it's how he did it. Brought you back to life, raised you from the dead. You he quickened who were dead. Who were dead. Who were dead. We take this stuff for granted. But there is no other context in all the world where you can talk about death in the past tense. Christianity is the only context in the world in which death is in the past tense. In every other environment, in every other situation in the natural world, once something has died, it is dead. It stays dead. It is always in the present tense. And it will always be future. If death is now, it always will be in the future. But because of Jesus, we talk about death, not in the present, not in the future. It's past. I were dead. You were dead. Now you're alive. No other context in the world except Christianity can you say past, can you say death was something that was in my past. I'm alive now and life is in my future. You were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Listen, according to the prince of the power of the air. Make note of that statement. The prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Until you made Jesus the Lord of your life there was nothing different about you. You were, according to this scripture, walking the course of the world, going the way of this world, and you were dead. And you think, well, I didn't know I was dead. I still had a heartbeat. Yeah, that should tell you something. We don't know, we don't know what we need to know about death. Everybody in this world thinks death is cessation. It's the cessation of a heartbeat. It's the cessation of blood flowing in your body. Death is not cessation. Death is separation. Death is being separated from life. God who is life. And so before you knew Jesus, before you had any friendship or fellowship with God, you were dead. Yeah, I know you had a heartbeat, but you were separated from life. And you walked the course of this world and there was something working in you. There was something working on you. He said it was, you walked according to the prince of the power of the air. This is what people fail to realize, and yet it's so plain right here in front of us. The scripture tells us that Satan is the God of this world. People are always so confused. If there is a God, how could he let this happen? If there is a God, how could he let somebody starve? How could he let somebody die? If there is a God, and they think they're proving to us there's no God. 
But what they don't realize is the Bible is so very clear about it. Satan is the God of this world. The book of 1 John says the same thing. It says in chapter 5, we know that whoever is born of God doesn't sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself. The wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God. And the, listen, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The New Living says they're under control, under the control of the wicked one. Satan is the God of this world. And there's a lot of people, Christian people, who think they are completely righteous and right in saying, you know, God's just in control of everything. God has a reason for this and God had a reason for that. Not so often they're pointing to death. They're pointing to stealing, killing, and destroying. And they're saying, God must have a reason. He's sovereign. He's in control. And yet the Bible is so clear. Satan is the God of this world. And Ephesians called him the prince of the power of the air. What does that mean? Listen to it from another translation. This is the Weist translation. He said, you being dead with reference to your trespasses and sins, he made alive in the sphere which trespasses and sins. At one time you ordered your behavior as dominated by the spirit of the age in this world system as dominated by the leader of the authority of the lower atmosphere. The leader of the authority of the lower atmosphere. That's where we lived. That's where we spent our whole lives. And that's where somebody who doesn't know Jesus, who's not been born again, that's where they live right now. I saw a video just a few weeks ago. Short little thing popped up on my feed. I have no idea how or why. I don't know who this person was, but it was just a girl looking into her camera, recording a video on her own. And this is what she said. She said, even if God appeared in the sky, proved his existence, said, hey, everybody, I'm God. She said, even if he showed up, I still wouldn't serve him. I still wouldn't serve him. That's a dangerous way to think. It's a dangerous way to live. Because for much of history, people who have fought serving God have said, if he proves he's real, I'll serve him. But here's somebody who said, even if he proved he was real, I still wouldn't serve him. What is that? This is somebody who is living with an illusion of freedom. They think they're free. I don't want to serve a God because I don't want to be bound by all that. I'm free and I want to be free. And what they don't realize is that they are being dominated. They think, oh, I'm just making all my own choices. I'm just doing my own thing. They, have, they completely are blind to the fact they're just walking the course of this world. It's like a conveyor belt. There's no freedom on that belt. You go where that thing goes. And that's what these people are. They're just being completely dominated by what? By the authority of this lower atmosphere. And every law of nature that works in this lower atmosphere, pulling down, dragging back. But we are not called to live there. I said, we're not called to live limited by the God of this world. We are not called to be subject 
to all the laws, the limiting laws of this lower atmosphere. We're called outside of that. As a matter of fact, the Bible goes on to say in verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and did what? Come on, did what? Did what? Raised us up at somewhere in the neighborhood of 1.2 million pounds of thrust or something like that. Power. All I know is it was power that raised us up. And it was enough power to work against everything in this lower atmosphere that's pulling on you, trying to keep you down, trying to hold you back. There's power beneath you, thrust beneath you to supersede, to overcome this lower atmosphere. And I got that same thing in me that that astronaut's got in him. I want out of this place. I want beyond this atmosphere. I want beyond these natural laws. I'm called to live the life of faith, the life where God is involved. The unseen gets involved in the scene. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm halfway across the lake and I've been going by my own strength and my own power, but the supernatural gets in the boat and immediately I'm where I'm going. Come on, are you listening? I want out of, anybody else want out of this lower atmosphere? Yeah, you do. You were created to live higher. We have been seated. What does he say? He goes on to say it right here in these verses. Raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now, there's one element of this in Ephesians 2 here that I want you to notice. What is it that keeps people bound by this lower atmosphere and dominated by the God of this world? Did you notice this? Put it back up there, Ephesians chapter 2. He said, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of what? Disobedience. That same word disobedience is translated unbelief. That's what that girl online was demonstrating. She didn't know it. She thinks, I'm just, I'm just saying my opinion. I'm just saying what I think. She had no idea. That's a spirit. To say, I don't care if God proved his existence, I wouldn't serve him. That's a spirit. Now, I'm not saying this person's demon-possessed, but I am saying there is a spirit of disobedience driving that. Disobedience. Disobedience, also translated unbelief, keeps people in this lower atmosphere dominated by that spirit. And it's one thing for the world to live that way. He said we were all that way. And until you've been raised by Jesus and seated with Jesus in heavenly places, you are totally and completely dominated by that spirit and your feet will never leave the ground. But what's really sad is some believer that has been born again but refuses to obey, refuses to take a step of faith 
in obedience to God, in obedience to word. Disobedience will keep your feet on the ground. Disobedience will keep you from ever progressing. You will never supersede the law of weight and drag through disobedience. I want to give you a couple of examples of this before we go. Look in the book of Genesis at a man named Abraham. Genesis chapter 12 is where God introduced himself to Abraham. And in verse 1 it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Do you hear blessing, blessing, blessing? I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's a big old promise, wouldn't you say? I'm gonna make your name great. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless everything you set your hand to do. God went on to say to him later, I'm going to be your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Man, God made some big promises to this man. Did you notice that? And he made good on these promises. But, but look back at what this whole thing started with. It didn't just start with God saying, hey, I'm about to bless you. It started with leave home. It started with take a step. Leave your father's house, leave your home country to a place that I will show you. And because this man did what God said, he's not just an Old Testament figure. He's called the father of our faith. He's our example. And this is why Hebrews chapter 11 says it very plainly, Abraham obeyed God. That's faith. Disobedience also translated unbelief. That ought to tell you obedience can be translated belief or faith. There's a lot of people claiming to believe God, but he can't get them to do a single thing he said. Take a step. Oh, I believe God. I believe he's good. I believe he's savior. I believe he's healer. And he says, okay, I need you to go over here. I don't think so. I'm good right here. I mean, Abram could have said any of that to him. Leave your father's house. Go to a country I will show you. I'll make your name great. I'll bless you. I'll make you a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Abraham could have said, hmm, which land is that? Where are we headed? What kind of land is it? Is it a good land? Is it a rough land? Who's there? Who's not there? Are there opportunities for me and my family there? What's the school system like? Hmm? What's the median income of the land that you're calling me to? What are the taxes? Lord, if you could just tell me the taxes, what's, what's the property tax in this land going to be? Then I'll decide. That's not obedience. That's disobedience. It's also unbelief. And if Abraham had chosen that path, he would have stayed. Feet firmly planted in daddy's house. But the Bible tells us he was 75 years old. And I've laughed often about that. My thought is, you know what? It's time. It's time, little birdie. Spread your wings. 
learn to fly. How do you do that? You got to get out of this house. You're going to have to make God your source and not family, not the so-called security of growing up in somebody else's house. You're going to have to get your own God. Launch out. I'll come back to Abraham in a minute, but, but go to the book of Luke with me. Chapter 5. And don't you like the, just the thought of that, that rocket and all those millions of pounds of fuel and the 1.2 million pounds of thrust just propelling that thing and every pound of thrust is fighting against every natural law trying to keep it down, keep it in this atmosphere. Why does it take so much power? Because it's trying to break out of this place. Luke chapter five, verse one says, so it was as the multitude pressed about Jesus to hear the word of God that he stood by from the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, what? Ooh, what did he say to Simon? Launch. Launch. What have we been talking about all morning? Launching out. And this was, this was pre-aviation days. And yet the Bible has something to say about it. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered him, said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Natural law says you're not going to catch a thing. You've been toiling. You've been working. You're a fisherman. You have been your whole life. This guy's a preacher. What does he know about fishing? What does he know about the right conditions? He wants me to launch out in the middle of the day. Everybody knows you don't fish in the middle of the day. Peter has every natural and mental reason to say no. To disobey, which would prove what? Unbelief. I don't believe you. He says, we've been working. We've been toiling all night. We've caught nothing. But, oh man, listen to these words. If you will learn to put these words in your mouth, you are going to light a rocket underneath you. Nevertheless, at your word. That's it right there, church. Nevertheless, at your word. That makes no sense to me. How could we possibly catch anything after working all night and catching nothing? That doesn't compute. That seems like the wrong move. Nevertheless. Nevertheless, at your word. So what happened? I let down the net, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. Supernatural acceleration. This is more fish than they've ever caught in a day. This is more fish than they've ever caught in two days. This is probably more than they've ever caught in a week's time. It's so much all at once. 
And what lit that rocket? Obedience. A simple act of obedience to do what? Launch. Launch out. I'm telling you, the greatest blessing Sarah and I have ever experienced in life or in ministry has always, always come after launching out. After taking a step of faith, a simple act of obedience, the Lord says, do this, and we take a step. We were on staff with my family as a part of a big ministry, worldwide ministry, global. I mean, I'm telling you, having an effect, people all over the world, big ministry, hundreds of employees, a certain level of job security, if you will. When Papa is the man, all you got to do is not be stupid, and you can have a job for like a long time, and a well-paying job, and that's what she and I had. We youth pastored together, then we began traveling as representatives of the ministry, and we had received raises, and, and the ministry was, was a, a great channel of supply to us, and we felt like, man, we're so blessed. This is the most blessed we've ever been, until one night the Lord starts talking to us about launching out. And it wasn't launch into the shallow, it was launch into the deep calls. I'm telling you, there's a deep thing calling you, deeper than you've ever been. It's calling out to you, and that deep, deeper waters were calling out to us. And long story short, we took that step, which meant leaving our father's house. And it wasn't like, we're never going to see you folks again, bye. We're cutting you off, no community. No, it wasn't that at all. We were leaving that security. We were leaving literally that paycheck. We were leaving medical coverage. We were leaving all that so-called security to launch out. And for months and months and months, we didn't take a salary from our ministry. And yet, we never one time for a single day went backwards. We didn't let anything drag us. Matter of fact, we took off and we began to supersede every natural law. Natural law that says you can't make it without a paycheck. You can't have a baby, which we did, and quit your job, leave all your medical coverage and expect to pay for checkups, everything that this baby needs. And yet it's exactly what we did. Superseding every natural law as the result of launching out. How do you think we got here? We spent our lives, our married lives, up until a point in Texas. And then, most of you heard me tell the story, we had Colorado on our hearts for a long time, but it never really seemed to pan out year after year after year, so we were just kind of content to be in Texas until one day some friends of ours, actually Ashley and Carly Terradez, who've ministered here, part of our church now, they were visiting us in Texas from Colorado. Ashley and I were just sitting there talking, and he happened to mention that Brother Andrew Womack's building in Colorado Springs was for sale. I wasn't thinking about Colorado, but there was a quickening. He said it, and something came alive on the inside of me. I thought, we need to go look at that. Why do we need to go look at that? We live in Texas. We're going to move, move our family, move our men. I don't know. We need to go look. We came and looked. Checked it out. We thought maybe it was it. And after looking a few times, we realized, okay, that's not it. But, but something's stirring in us. Something is alive on the inside of us. And this whole thing about Colorado came so quickly to us. 
that we had looked for years and years and years and wanted to be here and tried to be here and just, it was never the right time. But when he came and said that about that building, it was October of 2018. We lived here by June of 2019. Talk about a quick inning. It happened so fast. And it just happened as the result of stepping out, launching out. How are you going to leave your property? How are you going to leave? We thought maybe we might have to leave our whole staff. So we just went to him and said, guys, this is what the Lord's telling us to do. We want you to come if you believe you're supposed to. And every single one of them, one after the other, same quickening, same quickening. And together, you know what we did? <laughs> Launched out into the deep. We didn't know. Never started a church before. Never built really anything before. Certainly had never purchased a two and a half million dollar piece of property that needed a ton of work and love and time and money. How are we going to do it? I don't know. He just said, go. He said, go. What if the Lord had said, go? And we'd said, okay, maybe. But tell me about the school system. Tell me, where in Colorado exactly? Are we talking liberal Colorado? Are we talking conservative Colorado? <laughs> Lord, what about the weather? Huh? Is it, is it cold? I don't want to go if it's cold. What is that? Disobedience? equals unbelief. That would be us saying, we don't believe you can take care of us there. We don't believe you can provide for us there. We don't believe you could start anything there. That disobedience would have been unbelief, but we launched out. And we are living in the middle of the blessing of the Lord like we never have before. And I don't just mean us personally, we're experiencing that. But being here with you today, looking at you in the eye, this is blessing beyond anything I could have ever imagined that came as a result of what? Launching out. Launching out. Now, this is cool. I want to finish with this. Go to, back to the book of Genesis and look at chapter 13. Just about done. Y'all are quiet today. You doing okay? You getting anything? Genesis chapter 13. You're going to get a kick out of this. This is just one chapter later. God had introduced himself to Abraham and said, I'm going to be the one that blesses you. And just a chapter later, you know, we find out that Abraham is very rich in silver and gold and in cattle. Well, what was that from? The blessing. That's from leaving daddy's house, from launching out. You get to Genesis chapter 13. Look down around verse 14. Put that on the screen for us. It said, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, I want you to read this next statement with me. Ready, read. Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you were. Gave him two instructions. Lift and look. Lift your eyes and look from the place. Go on. What does he say to him? Northward, southward, eastward, and westward. He said, keep going. All the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. What was God's instruction to him? Lift. Lift. All throughout Abram's life, Abraham's life, God was constantly telling him, look up. Lift. Lift. You can't get where I'm going 
looking down. Where I'm taking you looking down, you're going to have to get another law in motion here. This law of lift. Now you're going you're gonna to laugh at this. I think this is so cool. That word lift is the Hebrew word nasah. You want to know how you spell it? N-A-S-A. I think that's so cool. I don't know if it means anything at all. I think it's so cool. Because it paints a picture, doesn't it? For us living thousands and thousands of years later, that word alone, lift. And I'm not talking about a little 170 horsepower engine. I'm talking about millions of pounds of thrust underneath you, lifting you and I up out of this atmosphere. You are not dominated by that spirit of disobedience that keeps people in this lower atmosphere. You have been raised with Jesus and seated with Jesus. Where? This lower atmosphere? No. Way on up there. Way on up there. Heavenly places. Amen. That's one thing to, to know that and believe it, but to experience it on an everyday basis, you know what it requires? One simple act, obedience, obedience. Some of you came and you moved to this area to go to school. You launched out. Deep was calling you. Some of you moved from somewhere else. I'm looking at families across this room. You moved from another state, another place in the country to come be a part of this church. How'd you get here? You launched you launched out. Deep was calling to you. And every time we hear that call of God, simple act, simple step of obedience. You know what's waiting on the other side of it? Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text Legacy in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you, and remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.